Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats, football history, and it's memorabilia on the Sports History Network. And we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be back, Bob. Holidays in our rearview mirror, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Been texting you. I officially moved into my house after repairs from our fires. So we're, I mean, it's a little hectic. It's like the it's like the Death Star in Star Wars. I mean, it's not quite complete, but we can we could blow up Alderaan if we had to. All right, good. I'm glad you're back in, and I'm glad things are getting a little normal. Uh, we're going to have a general open forum, but we're going to do a, a bunch of stuff during the show tonight to this afternoon, and I want to lead off um, a little off script. Uh, it's not a good idea to be old in football right now. <laughs> and as I fast approach that number of 70, uh, I, I really feel for three guys who, um, two losing their jobs, one gracefully exiting at the same yes. time. And I think we all know in the football world, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and a man who I've never seen chew gum better than the illustrious Pete Carroll of your Seattle Seahawks. Uh, thoughts, ideas, concepts. You literally broke the news to me about Pete Carroll being let go. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Bob texted me yesterday. Where we, we, we text quite a bit. He's like, hey, I'm sorry to hear about Pete Carroll being let go. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I mean, so, yeah. Bob Swick, gridiron great publisher, podcaster, and breaking news uh, now. But uh, it, it, I, it, I'm just I'm reminded of the greats. I mean, Lombardi, uh, you know, was amazing. And at some point, people figured out what he had. Uh, you know, football evolved around him. I mean, think of every great you can. Bill Walsh got let go at some point or retired. I mean... Mike Holmgren, all the greats you can think about at some point 
the world passes them by and it, it, it you know football evolves it's uh you know i think we can say bill belichick probably the greatest to ever roam the sidelines i mean would you put him above lombardi well yes and no i think in the context and in the, the years that they played i think belichick did a lot uh he was beyond in in any way shape or form uh, a, a genius in many cases as far as the game was concerned and his strategies and so on and so forth. He did slip when he lost Brady. And yes. to me, um, I never, Lombardi unfortunately never lived long enough to slip anywhere uh, yes. because he even did a good job with the Redskins the, the, the short time. Sonny Jurgensen with Sonny and, you know, I, I look at these guys, I look at Belichick especially. I think Belichick, if he had, he wanted complete control of his team from top to bottom, and he had it. But I don't think it was effective once he lost Brady. Uh, he just couldn't come up with the magic again with any quarterback yeah. that he had there. And he really didn't have that great quarterbacks uh, to, to, to use and utilize. Uh, Nick Saban, as far as I'm concerned, the, the guy was great. He was a great coach. Uh, I can't take anything away from him. I didn't like the way he slept for Aflac at the end there, you know, doing the promotions. I thought that was a little, you know. I don't, I don't why he it. Isn't that funny? I feel the same way where I'm like, come on, man. You don't need the money that bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you lose some credibility doing that. Yes. Um, Pete Carroll's Pete Carroll. I remember him from uh, both the Patriots and the Jets when he was there. Yeah. Um, he was not well liked in either area. I think right. he, he found his niche at USC, and he did find his niche with the Seahawks. And uh, I think Carroll was the most surprised because I think he probably wanted to go out on his terms. Obviously, he was not able to go out on his terms, and that ended that for him. And that that's what it, you know what it what it comes down yeah. to. So the problem I see um, with Belichick going to another team. I really can't see him, and I hate to say this, at his age and going with a completely different organization, A, any organization is going to give him top-to-bottom control, and B, he's not going to alienate a lot of guys both in the organization, playing for him, coaching, uh, you know, support staff, things of that nature, and I think that's going to be uh, his drawback to going to any other team. I really can't see him and as much as they're hyping this morning he's going to go to the falcons i really don't see why the falcons would want to pick him up uh they don't have that great of a team and they're, right. they're probably good three to four years down the road before they become truly competitive again totally agree i can't see him with the uh redskins commanders because that's a completely different situation there and uh, he's just not going to gel there he's not going to fit in well there uh, Panthers forget. I I just can't see him going to uh, yeah, that would tarnish his legacy to go to a team that's already losing like that. Yeah, you know. So I I, I get, he he's not going to turn anything around there whatsoever. Yes. That's very very there. They need basically a cleaning top to bottom. So I, I Belichick. I just think you know you know I always say when you're on top, that's the time to to step down. It's the, it's the greatest feeling around. And I, and I use it in my own case when we moved down here. I was pretty much at the top of the different things I was doing back in Connecticut. <clears throat> and I walked away from them. People say, you're crazy walking away from them. I said, well, 
I don't know what else I, more I could do here and or accomplish here. I've done this, this, and this. I'm done. You know, it's time for another chapter, a, a, a new change, uh, a new location, so on and so forth. And I think a lot of guys in football, um, they just can't give it up. I mean, the players can't give it up. Uh, you know, look at Aaron Rodgers. It was a total waste of a season. And if he really thinks he's going to come back and, and the Jets are somehow going to win the Super Bowl next year, I can't see that happening either. So, yeah. you know, I think these three guys, Saban, I know, is, is pretty much done. But I, I think Carroll and Belichick should just say, hey, I had a great ride. Time to do something different. Or maybe find a high school that really needs you and go uh -huh. there. And, you know, seriously, and, and, you know, give 60 years of experience to kids, high school kids, and let them say to you know at one time, hey, Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll coached us, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that that's just my feeling on it, one way or the other. Yeah, that legacy is big to me. Like, for example, I remember when you were talking about moving. You're like, once I get permission from my parole officer, I mean, we're moving. You know, I mean, there you go. You've got your big reset. Yeah, and and that's what it, you know what it comes down to. So it's uh, it, you know. It is what it is, and I think people sometimes have difficulty changing. I mean, I went to high school with guys who still live in the same town I graduated from, yeah. and they have never moved, you know, half a life type of thing. Hoodie's got his reputation. He's the greatest. What he doesn't want to do is pull a, you know, a Johnny Unitas and go play a year at the Chargers. I think we all abhor seeing our heroes in another uniform. Uh, you know, Jerry Rice looked amazing in a Seahawk uniform. Of course, everybody does wearing number 80. But, uh, you know, it's, I mean, th that tarnishes a reputation. Uh, right. I mean, it, it really does. So, I mean, uh, Lombardi is seen as the greatest. There's a lot of people who don't remember that he left to go, you know, to the Redskins for a little while. And who said, by the way, that Sonny Jorgensen was the greatest player I ever played with, which I thought was interesting. Greatest quarterback, excuse me. Outside of Kramer. Uh, but, you know, Hoodie's got his reputation to worry about, too. He doesn't want to go. Uh, the teams you mentioned, 100% agree. Because he won't go to the Falcons, where he spends three years mired, you know, in mediocrity, right. you know, with some, you know, you know, sub-500 seasons, uh, never making the playoffs. And he backs out of his career. That That is a state. I right. But Robert Kraft did a great job in his, you know, in his speech yesterday where he's like, Bill's in charge of everything, draft picks, general manager, salaries, everything. Right. Uh, so yeah. to, to take some of those duties away from him is an insult to him. So does Hoodie want to go somewhere where he is the same, where he has all of those responsibilities and does having all of those responsibilities detract from coaching? It's the same thing happened to Holmgren in Seattle. It started to detract from the coaching when you have all the other stuff to worry about. Right, right, exactly. And I think the last three years proved to Belichick, uh, he was, you know, literally, he wasn't making good decisions with yeah. drafts and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, it, you, you know, it's not so much you lost your spark you, or you lost your touch. It's just that you can't handle everything from top to bottom the way you think you can handle from top to bottom, even as much as you delegate to your coaches. And again, because football is so overcoached today, what is the, the role of a head coach for any team today? Basically, all he is is an admin for coordinating 12 to 14 different coaches and plays and trying to make them work for 60 minutes on, on 
on a on a game day, and so you become win, and that and that's what it comes down to. And again, yeah. uh, what who were the the powerful teams in the NFL this year? The Ravens, which shocked me because I really didn't think they were that good. Forty nine, so I did think they were good, and the and I saw the complete implosion of the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Uh, who were were supposed to be, you know, walking into the Super Bowl right now? Yeah, the Seahawks beat them. Yeah, I mean, so the Seahawks beat the Eagles. I mean, it's, it's just yeah, that's yeah. They they started to coast. And you also saw a lot of coasting. I mean, what the the juggernauts that we've had? I mean, the the Chiefs. I mean, you know, a lot of whining, a lot of a lot of a lot of finger pointing yeah. towards the end there. That 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 really tears teams apart. And to me, the Chiefs just got too many outside interests, and it's not so much, yeah. you know, the the Taylor Swift type of thing. It's it's basically uh, Mahomes is on spent pretty much his off season recording a lot of commercials, doing a lot of promotional work, blah blah blah. And I think guys got a little disinterested on that team, and Andy Reid's having a tough time drawing everybody in. And he's an old school coach, in my opinion, and he's a yes. player coach. Totally agree. Well, he's saying to himself, I got I should have one of the best teams in the NFL and look at the infighting I gotta deal with here. So yeah. you know that's football. He, he's gonna thing. start bumping into salary cap issues here very, very soon. Uh, yeah. so he's gonna have a hard time keeping that team together. That's what happened to the Seahawks. I mean, several really, really I remember when Pete Carroll was named coach. And I mean it's tough to go back. I mean, what is that? 15 years ago. How long has he been coach? But at, at the uh um uh, uh the at the same year I remember uh Chucky Dahl, uh you know, Gruden was a free agent. You yeah. know, he, he he just left, so he was available as a coach, and so was uh Bill Cowher. Yeah. And so we had those two coaches available. I'm like, oh my gosh. Bill Cowher at, yes. you know, at Seattle, oh my God, any of these guys. So when they named, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, and obviously I knew Carroll from being in the pack, you know, 12, facing the Oregon Ducks every year. I was like, why did we just pluck a college coach? Uh, but immediately he showed his salt and drafted. Uh, just, I mean, and he he was able to, you know, assess that talent. Had some really good drafts, but in, in today's, era of free agency and you know salary cap uh you, you've got a window of what and four the, to five the years problem today is you don't have time to develop you got to win today Absolutely. that's all that matters carolina is yeah. an example they went through 17 games with young i give him a lot of credit the kid has a lot of poise but he has nothing to play with um he has a weak line he's yeah. got you know, weak receivers he makes some mistakes. He's he, and you know, he just he went from college to professional football. I give him a lot of credit, and he yeah. kept his composure through the whole thing. And which is why I like a Jordan Love now because after watching him play for the season, he's very composed on the field. He doesn't ha have a temper tantrum. You know, he just does what he needs to do, and that's it. And, and he plays, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, um, you go from college where. You know, you know, there might be one or two exceptional players on each team, you know, and you're the best player on your team to pro where everybody is the best player. Right. I mean, where linebackers can run you down, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I was very happy. I wish Pete Carroll the best. It is always sad 
to see the end of an era, but um, sometimes you need a reset. I, I personally think Carroll had a couple more seasons in him. Uh, and you can tell he thought that too. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, just, I, I, I wish him well. All you can do when a coach brings a Lombardi trophy to your, to your team, you know, after, you know, yeah. 40 years of nothing, all yeah. you can do is say, thank you. And I wish you well. Uh, yeah. I, I hope he retires because he's up, he is that age. I mean, he's what, 72. He's just, yeah. I mean, but you, you see it a lot with people who their entire life is spent to coaching and just that routine. And yeah. I mentioned in that gridiron greats article I wrote about, uh, you know, the, you know, the hall of fame barbecue, yeah. uh, you know, where I asked Drew Bledsoe what his first season was like, where he didn't report to training camp. And he's like, I went to my place in Montana. I rode out to the middle of a lake in a boat to go fishing and I just sat there and cried when that's all you have. I mean, it's tough to give that up, but at, yeah. at some point, you know, live life too, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I know, I know a few players in any sport who've spent from when they were 17 years old until they were yeah. 77 years old. Good point. One organization as a player, manager, coach, yeah. whatever it was, it just doesn't exist. And unless you're in, uh, for example, a small college where you have a niche and you know you can last there 30 years, yes. and you know the administration understands you're going to have winning seasons and losing seasons, and you could you could say, hey, I had a heck of a career. I coached at you know uh, whatever university of, of state uh, for 35 years. I had a pretty good record coaching. We won you know six or seven championships. I can't ask for anything more. I had a yes. lot of guys I, I coached. Uh, a handful of guys actually went to the pros, and that's it. You know, but it, you know, we're we're win now um, team sport uh, concept today in all or in all the team sports. We want to win today. We don't want to wait. We want to build a team. We want to win it today. We'll, we'll give up everything for a, a championship this season, and yeah. then we don't win anything for five seasons. Oh well. That's it, you know, and then it's sad, but it's true. And football has, has really super evolved into it now that it's a win at all cost each season. And it's, you know, it's tough to get excited about that year in and year out. You know, I, I had a, a very uh, enjoyable experience watching on TV Montana and San Diego State for the small college championship um, uh, championship. And uh, San Diego State won a uh, great game. Uh, you can see these guys are, you know, real normal players, normal coaching, fans, truly excited on both sides. Two schools people never really ever heard of except San Diego State because they win all the time. And he's got a little powerhouse there. Uh, mm -hmm. Montana looked good, but they didn't, uh, they didn't, you know, weren't able to, to go and, and do it, you know, go all the way to, to even be more competitive in the game. That was a great game to watch. It was it was a really nice game to watch as compared to, you know, you know the smash mouth in your mouth type of thing. You know, you know the uh, the the uh, celebration after every play, you know, type of situation. So you know, I like to see football again. You know, it's tough. It's tough to watch it. Yeah. yeah. All right, you got some options. Took a little more than we, when I wanted to here. Uh, let's go into auctions. You got some interesting auctions and some chickles. I do. Well, uh, we, as a general rule, we don't want to out any auctions, but I, I think everybody will realize that there is a uh, memory lane that ends tomorrow. 
and uh, some really, really uh, high-end chickles up there. I just wanted to share a couple of these because I'm kind of a 35 chickle, 48 leaf, uh, kind of my my sweet spot. As ever, if you're a longtime listener, you know I'm my white whale is a uh, uncut 35 chickle sheet. That's what I'd like to see uh, one of these days. I basically push all my chips in for that. Uh, but so I mean, uh, you know, and as I'm searching for how a chickle sheet is even put together. You know, I've searched for miscuts of them. That's how I put the 48 leaf sheet together even before I found this uncut one over my shoulder, uh, uh, which I will hang on the wall eventually, I promise. And, uh, but so I, I, I kind of, you, I, you know, I, I wrote an article called, uh, you know, the love affair between card doctors and 48 leaves for gridiron, I, I think four or five years ago. So, I mean, I've been measuring and keeping scans of leaves and chickles for a long time. So when an auction comes up with, uh, oh, where is it? This, okay. for example, and I will just throw this card out. This was the first one that I saw. What's your first instinct when you see this card? PSA 8, Hall of Famer, Cliff Battles. What do you see in that card there, Captain? Well, I see uh, a PSA 8. How many PSA 35 trickles are there? Number one. <laughs> good, good question. How did it ever get there? Number two. Yep. And I can only imagine the pricing on it. And I was checking a little this morning, and I was a little, yeah. a little uh, taken back for back of lack of better way of explaining that. So, yeah, and uh, that thirty-five chickle, uh, that Cliff Battles is at four thousand two hundred and eighty-one right now. Wow! So that's, that's a tough card. Look at that border, and this is a newer flip. Uh, it's not the old style where uh, some things slipped by the goalie. That border is so bad. I mean, it's just tough. That's a Hall of Fame card. This one, number one in the car, number one in the set. Uh, we assume it's going to be upper left corner of the sheet if we can ever find one. This one's not as in your face, but not quite a PSA 8. I don't know if you can see my mouse, but right on his 7, you can see a little bit of dust paper lot i mean whatever it is but this doesn't it's not as bright as i've seen them and it just doesn't quite jump out at me again a new flip uh so it's a little bit newer this card right now is at eleven thousand four hundred and ninety one dollars oh my word which is about uh double the last uh the last one of these that went wow. so i don't know if more people are looking at it or if they think this one looks good, but uh, oh well, there can, it is. Can you enlarge that at all? No, oh, let me take a look. See, sorry, I just uh, pulled the curtain back and yeah, I can. There we go. How's that? What do you think? All right, I'm I'm not seeing. Oh. Yeah, that isn't paper loss. I beg your pardon. I just looked at that on the seven, but uh, that that one's this one's not bad i guess it's just not as uh, not as bright as i've seen them you know yeah yeah <laughs> uh, well let's move on to the next one i basically ran through all these but i think i used to own this card uh because i can remember this stain up in the upper left corner 
but yeah, centering off borders looking a little thin left left and right, left definitely. Uh, and just a little bit of staining on the upper left. I don't know. That's a, it's just not an attractive eight. And that card right now is at $7,584. Wow. Wow. Somebody's really trying to put their high-end chickle set together. Well, you've always said the number, the number is what counts. You know, the higher the number, the better. You yeah. know, it's the battle to be uh, number one as far yes. as uh, having having the highest grades, so on and so forth. So anything seven, eight, or nine, obviously, is going to be run up there as high as possible. Couldn't right. agree more. This Ken Strong was really tough. I mean, usually you see a really nice Ken Strong shown the bottom. You know, a, a nod to near mint Mike Thomas. You know, uh, you know, you can see the bottom of his feet, which is always good on a football card, a, a cleat shot, but. The bottom border of this is almost obscured by the holder of the card. It's so thin. It's there, but that and that right border is just in tough shape. It, these are these are the yeah. It's tough. And this card is at three thousand seven hundred and ninety six dollars currently. Unbelievable. I was yeah. at the probably in. Probably 1986, 87, 88, right around that time. I and I was a guy had a ton of chickles, uh, and uh, I remember buying the Ken Strong, which he graded a X, which I thought was a pretty strong grade for it. I paid fifty dollars for it back then, and I thought that was a, an incredible sum of money for me to put into a card. But then I also tried to to rationalize, well, it's a thirty five chickle, and therefore it's it's well worth it. So, uh, yep. I'm just shocked at the at the price and grade. I, I remember when I had the opportunity to buy a PSA eight Bronco Nagurski when a fight for old DC broke up his set, and I owned a PSA seven that was really nicely centered. I like it. I got it from a friend and a, another collector, and I thought it was better centered than the eight. And I remember reaching out to several friends with scans of my seven and the eight have potential. All this had to happen in 24 hours because he's like, you know, make a decision or I'm going to move on to the next collector. And uh, I remember showing him and I'm like, I like my seven better than the eight. And yeah. one person summed it up for me. They're like, there are six PSA eight Nagurskis exist and likely not, not that many more. It's like, this is a PSA eight Nagurski. This is the cornerstone of any collection you know you're you're buying the flip in this instance and he was right so i made the deal so this this turk edwards again you can the the bottom border is nearly nearly missing uh which is tough and that card is at five thousand one hundred and eighty dollars unbelievable yeah unbelievable. just tough as you're flipping through them you're just like man and then this one this last one again this caught my eye just because it's my my beloved 48 leaf set yeah. and this slinging slinging sammy is one of the reasons i got out of uh got out of the 48 leaf set i stopped collecting high end i still have quite a collection of 48 leaves but most of them are psa four five and six and they're fat bordered uh you know but the, i know in my experience they are not trimmed they're fat bordered uh, and I, th that's where I switched my collection, but this is a PSA. 
but I, I don't even have to break the calipers out. Uh, I know that this is trimmed. Sure. Which is tough. That card right now, right there, 7,086, which uh, still a day to go. You know, with the VIG, that's $8,400. You know, even back in the heyday, this was a $10,000 card. So we're, we're, we're getting there, even though, you know, even though you've seen a lot more of these pop. But, you know, again, somebody's out there buying the flip and not the card. I would almost guarantee this card is trimmed. Wow. Unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Well, buyer beware. We've said it numerous times over and over again. Um, you know, we said uh, to uh, to try to uh, to try to you know rationalize where this money is going into these cards and trimmed cards, so on and so forth. It's just uh, crazy, truly crazy. Uh, the one thing I brought up, um, and getting a, get, again, getting a little off, um, off script here, and we're going to do a little show and tell, but I jumped on this because it's kind of interesting to me. Um, can you see this? No, up a little bit. You see it now? Yep. Okay. Mayo so, card. This is my highest grade Mayo which is an SGC 50. The bulk of my Mayos are 10, 20s, or authentic. And I obviously am not near completing the set. I think I have 19 of the, of the set. So when I look at this card and I compare them to my 10s and 20s, I have 10s and 20s that should be 50s, and I have a 50 that I can't believe that they graded at 50. Now, the, ba the back is clean, as you can see. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I don't understand how and why other than, you know, the, they came up with this when they were grading or a grader was worried about not giving it a, a good enough grade because it's such an old card, so on and so forth. Yeah. And, and again, it's, grading. It's got to be tough to grade those old cards like that because you're like, I see chipping and stuff like that. But let me, let me look at the definition of what a, you know, an SGC 30 is, I mean, it, there's a lot of leeway, you know, in right. lower grades like that. Right. And, and again, I think probably now they got their, their grading much more in order than what they had back then. Good point. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see stuff like that. And I always said, this does nothing for my set other than, you know, make one card out of a, out of a 10 or 20 range type of thing. And uh, I can't believe the value of this card now in that in that condition uh, compared to what you know I paid for it. And if you remember that card, that was the group of uh, we went in on auction uh, probably eleven or twelve years ago, and uh, you oh. won some and I won some, and I won that out of that auction with you. That's right. Yeah. That was a long time ago because. Uh... But Actually, right after that, Legendary had the, you know, the highest Mayo set up. And by the way, I'm proud of you, Bob. When we first started doing this podcast, you're pronouncing it Mayo. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very proud of you. You you say Mayo without missing a beat. Uh, but because right after that, I, I bought that, uh, you know, very high grade Mayo set, you know, that I held on to for several years, upgraded a few things, and then realized I had no passion. Right. you know, for the set and right. sold it. Right. So, 
And, and again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating set to me. It's it's not completable for me because of uh, the Dunlop Anonymous card. And uh, again, I, I you know, I was thinking about it, looking at my run, thinking about my run. The big three sets that I never finished were this set, the 35 Chickle, and the 52 Large. And again, the 35 Chickle and the 52 Large set, I've started and stopped numerous times over there and just sold everything yeah. off and so forth. And yeah. The Mayos are the only ones that I still kept on. Uh, however, this, if I got a good offer on it, I would probably move it because, again, it doesn't fit into a 10 or 20, you know, series uh, of, of cards uh, because of that. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Set, grading is just so so subjective. And it's just every which way, and and it's just so sold in our hobby, uh, with regards to you know individuals wanting, that's all they want, so on and so forth, and that's it. So and and, and it's widely publicized your views on uh, TPGs, third party grading, but I, I would say there is a there is a place for it in the hobby, because I mean, uh, you know you, you know while TPGs may be subjective, it's to a finite point. Let's say one out of 50 cards that they grade, one out of 100, one out of 70, whatever it is, are sliders. Like, ah, that's an eight. That really could have been a seven, you know, and if on a good day at a nine. Uh, but if you're buying cards raw from a dealer, boy, now you want to talk about subjectiveness. Somebody trying to sell their cards, you know, there's a, there's a real eye on uh, leaning towards higher quality you know, right. grades. So right. while I would say, yes, it's a slippery slope, TPGs, it, it, you know, it, it, the subjectivity of a TPG is I will take that over that of a dealer selling raw cards, you know? So there, yeah. there's a time and a place for it, which by the way, I just sent my first submission off to PSA for grading in probably four years. Wow. I submitted three wax packs that are GAI graded uh, for crossovers. So hopefully they will find a home in my uh, in, in my uh, wax pack display case uh, in you, the next couple months. What's the turnaround time? Two to three years before you get them back? <laughs> Bobby made a funny. I like it. I like it. It's uh, no. I think with wax packs you have to pick a higher level of uh, of uh, of service. So I want to say it's like three weeks is what they oh, say. But they've got to receive those packs, turn around and ship them to, to you know, to, uh, you know, off off to BBCE. And uh, and then uh, they've got to, and then he's got to review them, authenticate them, send them back. And then they've got to grade them and slab them. So they, they, they have to hustle on that, I would imagine. But yeah, three packs, a 52 Bowman large nickel pack. Uh, that I think one one of the one of the folds, one of the flaps on the back is about is is slightly open, but who knows? And uh, these are all zero, you know, GAI serial numbers starting with zero and one. So back in the day of you know Mike Baker at GA, GAI, so uh, they get a little bit better of a reputation. Second pack was a fifty-eight tops nickel pack. Very, very rare nickel pack to have, and they're incredibly expensive. I got a deal on this one, uh, and it looks really good. I'd say that one's seventy-five percent chance of passing. And then I got a, a fifty-one tops magic. Uh, oh, okay. 
penny pack, which I actually, really obscure that, but I like it. I, I actually seen several 51 Tops Magic packs years ago uh, at various shows back in, back on the East Coast. So they, for whatever reason, I still say because Tops was out of Duryea, Pennsylvania, and they also used federal uh, paperboard in New Haven to cut a lot of their cards. It seems like the tri-state area at one time had a lot of top stuff floating around still in circulation. But that, that is yeah. one thing I actually I actually saw in person and was in uh, held and it was a pretty cool thing to nice. Uh, yeah. That that East Coast bias for a lot more a lot more vintage football cards roaming around than the West Coast. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I can yeah. tell that, I can tell down here too in the Carolinas, there is just not much vintage in any way, shape, or form, anywhere. Uh, so uh, it, it's been a true education uh, for me when I set up at shows down here. That uh, you know, that a lot of guys never seen what I have, and I'm constantly explaining to them, you know, what it is, type of thing. And uh, I'm I'm just very fascinated when I a fellow dealer who I think has some strong now they have a good knowledge of baseball cards. They have very little knowledge of football cards. Uh, the last show I was at, and stop me if I if I said this story, but I don't think I did. I had a bunch of 60 and 61 Fleer football, uh, a pile of them. God, they were all commons, various conditions, and he ended up buying them from me. And he kept saying, explain to me again, what's it, four years? Which years do I have here? And I said, you know, 60, 132 cards. Uh, the 61 is the big set. Because you had both the NFL and the AFL players, and then the two eighty eight yeah. cards at sixty. And he says, I, I he said, I honestly have not. He said, I saw sixty clear baseball, but I've never seen clear football. Hmm. So he said, I wanted to have them for him for us, and they weren't that many. They're probably twenty five percent. Yeah. So uh, I mean, that's I, interesting. I mean, you told the story a long time ago about you know a dealer who had football, but he hated it. He's like, just. Give me a give me ten bucks for it and get it out of here. You well, know? it was the five dollar cheese box back in the yeah. back in the, 80s and the early nineties, and they had to looking <laughs> when they went in the back. They got the cheese box. They gave it to me. <laughs> Didn't you find it. some football uh, in a dumpster once that somebody threw out rather than haul yeah, home after a show? At a show, um, I was walking outside, and this is no lie. The dumpster was open. There was like a big cardboard box in there and I, and I, for whatever reason I, I walked over to it and there was all football cards there and this was like 1986-87 and there were there were mostly like 80 1980s cards in there and, and some of them were in bad condition others were were fine so I grabbed I dumpster dive I took the box out I put it in my I had a truck at the time I put it in my truck and I sorted through it. I mean, I did throw out some of the cards that were bad. But you, you said you found a perfectly good sandwich in there, too, that you ate. Yeah, it was. It was very, very good. I had, I had uh, lunch on the way home. But uh, <laughs> I, I am just shocked at, at seeing it. I've seen at Nationals, guys open up packs and they just throw the cards out. If they don't have right. anything, it's, it just scares me. It just scares yeah. me. You've had such a head start. I mean... I'm 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 lucky, humbled enough to be a co-host of uh, you know of of this podcast with you. And obviously, I put senior. I really capitalized the senior right. contributing writer this time. I'll work on a I'll work on something directed at Jeff Payne next uh, next podcast. Uh, I'm gunning for you, Jeff. Uh, but uh, I, I I'm 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 a relative newbie. 
to the hobby. I mean, because, you know, I collected as a kid, but, you know, 1999 is when I, you know, rediscovered the hobby. My sister gave me a card, a large card, and then I found eBay and around 2001 found the CU chat boards. So, I mean, uh, two decades I've been in the hobby, you, you know, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to bump into people like you and, you know, the, the, the Spanos and Beckers of the world to, you know, to, to get me into vintage stuff. But I mean, you know, so when I hear you telling stories from the mid eighties about being at card shows, it's like, well, you know, it, you know it was like I said, it, and many times I would set up at a card show and I had three, three levels of pricing. I had a nickel, I had a quarter, I had 50 cents. I might've had a few dollar cards here and there. And I would have guys, very normal guys go through the nickel box. They pull the cards they needed back then set collecting was much more prevalent. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people were trying to, the guys were trying to finish their sets. Some guys were team set, team collectors. So they would pick up any, you know, for example, back then Patriots, Giants, Jets cards for their collection. And I got that. I understood that. And uh, some guys were, were superstar collectors. For example, 84, a couple guys were really hot on Elway. A couple guys were really hot on Marino. They said, these guys are going to be really good. They would go around yeah. by whatever they had, so on and so forth. And today, the, the hobby has changed so dramatically that yes. you know I just I just get tired of seeing the, the phone gets pulled out and and I got guys say to me, Oh, you're right on on the price for that. I said, Well, that's good to know. I said, I think I should be right on the price. And I said, What's the point of me if the card is only worth fifty dollars? Why would I put five hundred dollars on the price of the card there for? You tell me. And they don't know what to say. And they said, well, you know, we're, you know, this is what we go by. I said, well, you know, you could also educate yourself with pricing and you wouldn't need the phone. You know, if you, if you did some studying and some background on it and, and buy the card, if you really like the card, you like the, the design of the yeah. card, uh, you know, or the, the condition of the card, I mean, you know, buy it, you know, and um, I, I'm kind of shocked at that. It happened at the national lot. Uh, uh, the Wilmington show, it happens. Uh, I know the guys are going to do it, so I don't say anything to them anymore. Yes. But I, I do yeah. engage a few of them. Um, but again, I, I, uh, the story at the National was just mind-boggling where the guy says, well, I got to make some money on this. I said, well, that's fine. I said, I didn't realize I could only sell to dealers. I, I thought I could <laughs> people who collect There's cars. a 10% discount for dealers to allow for their profit margin. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I, I didn't realize I was supposed to be your bank so you can make money. <laughs> wow. Whatever. Well, what What do you got for show and tell there, Captain? Why don't you Why don't you lead the way, sir? I did an article on this upcoming issue of Gridiron Greats Magazine on Street and Smith football uh, magazines from 1940 to 1962, which is when they were only the uh, for one edition. They didn't have the mm -hmm. on the college edition. So I want to show a few. Uh, I had a couple guys ask me to do the article, and I did it. Um, and I know I showed this the last time. This is the 1949 Charlie Justice uh, issue. Yep. And again, this my is... My favorite the, nickname. My favorite nickname in all football. Charlie Choo Choo Justice. The quarterly was the autumn issue. That was the Street and Smith that's year, that year. So people got to... Uh, collectors got to remember that. Where, where do you keep all those? Because magazines are not easy as a program collector. I know those are not easy to store in bulk. I basically have uh, plastic bags with backings, and I and I have basically just boxes set up uh, with them. Uh, I just took on a big Sports Illustrated collection 
uh, from a guy who actually did a beautiful job of storing them. Um, and uh, he just got tired of it. And I told him, I'm, I'm looking more for the football um, issues for my collection. Uh, but he had everything from A to Z, so I, I got everything from him. But it's great reading the early the early issues of Sports Illustrated because mm-hmm. there was a lot of non-team sport articles in them. There was sport uh, articles on fishing, hunting, boating, oh, uh, all of golf, tennis, so on and so forth. And this is the big O, Johnny Ozleski from California. And this is the 1952 edition. Look at that. That's, That's pristine. Yeah. That is in really good shape. I can still see the sheen on that. Yeah. The cover. So this is the 1952 uh, issue. And what, what year was that, Bob? I'm sorry? What year was that? 52. These are just great historical pieces. I mean, besides classic covers of uh, what you have, and this is uh, Leon Hart. Famous issue from, uh, again, this was the 1950 issue of Pick Quarterly, which at that time they were, uh, they called themselves All-Star Sports Football. All right. And then I got a 1951 issue with um, the Masked Marvel Bobby Smith out of Texas. Oh, man. This is a cool cover. That's really cool. The good Heisman pose. Look at that. Classic. I love the the classic poses. And then I got a 1946 Mr. Ferrara out of USC. Wow. And that's a this is a pretty classic um magazine, in my opinion, because it's right after World War II. If you look at the back, they never sold an ad for the back cover. That's how, how tight things were at that time. Wow. So there was no ad on the back of that cover. On all, on any of them? 1946. Hmm. And then um, this one's a beat up. Um, 1943 with Steve Jeswick, who played for Santa Clara. This is a war issue. Knows how it's all taped on the side. Yeah. I didn't pay much for this at all. But if you look at the back or war bond ad, pretty interesting. That's really cool. So these are my earliest. That's uh, really cool. Earliest Street and Smiths. I wrote about them in, in uh, How do they, the GG. And How I guess. How do they smell, Bob? I, Old periodicals I, like that. How do they smell? Horribly. Horribly. And I don't <laughs> understand. Um, and I did. Uh, right in the article, and it uh, hopefully is is in the process of being mailed today. So everybody should begin in the beginning mm-hmm. of next. Excuse me. The uh, the prices of Street and Smiths have dropped dramatically, with the exception of roughly the 1940 to 45 issues, which are still mm-hmm. somewhat tough to come by. I've I've held held the entire collection several times, and I broke them up. Over the years, I've sold copies. I had guys ask me, I really need, and, and literally everybody's always asked me, I need 1940 to 44 or 45 in good condition. What do you have type of thing? And knowing that they were putting it together, I, I had no problem selling it to them. Uh, but uh, again, I'm a, I really don't see right now any 
older Street and Smiths locally here at the shows I've attended, uh, <clears throat> I, sold a, I saw a few from the 80s, and that's about it. So when I brought, uh, I brought a bunch of 70s to one show, and one guy had a field day because he says, I don't see these at all. And nice. he was looking for particular college covers, more of the SEC Southern uh, Southern College teams on the covers. So. When did that stop being published? Now, that's difficult to, to uh, I, I got, I have a, a mixed, um, what's the word I'm trying to use? I can't confirm when they stopped and when they restarted. Apparently they restarted, but I'm not sure. And apparently they stopped when the company got bought out. And, uh, and apparently they just went to like a website or some sort. I no. have all the conflicting information on that, so I really don't know. I stopped technically roughly 2005, 2006, right around that time. And uh, just for a variety of reasons, I just didn't, I didn't like, it was nothing there to read, you know, I'd rather spend that money and buy publications from the 40s, 50s, and 60s that had more, you know, meaning and value to me. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, but getting back to value of publications, I still don't understand why they're so beaten up. Um, and again, uh, collectors or speculators will have no problem spending thousands of dollars on a brand new graded card uh, of, say, uh, Zach Wilson or somebody. And um, a 1940s Street Smith's football magazine has literally no value to it. I mean, it's just, it's just mind boggling to me, to say the least. So I wanted to show that to our audience and and uh, and have us look at it. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you and uh, we're yep. well, time here. So we got to considering Christmas just happened. I wanted to bring in uh, uh, this and uh, let me. There you go. This is a Christmas Day 1925 program. Red Grange is Chicago Bears. Wow. This program is coming up on 100 years old. Smells good. It is in almost pristine shape. Wow. Uh, just beautiful. Uh, so obviously this is a, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a very rare one. Barnstorming game, Christmas. And the uh, Coral Gables Collegians. I'm going to read off a couple names here that you might recognize. Charlie Berry was the team captain. Wow. Jack Ernst, Hoot Flanagan, Duke Osborne, uh, Babe Parnell, and a young young hammer you might recognize, Tony Latone. Uh, and it was said also at some point that Grange on a, one of their games played a an older Jim Thorpe, but uh, and he he actually was you know quoted as saying. He was really, really good. I can only imagine what he was like, you know, 10 years ago. But this thing is in literally just perfect shape. It's still got George Hallis playing. He's listed as number seven as an end. Ed Healy, uh, George Trafton, who would, uh, uh, and then Harold Redgrange. It's funny. I was showing this to my son, and he's like, was Red his name? And I'm like, no, his name was Harold. You know, he's like, no wonder we went by Red. <laughs> kind of <laughs> laugh, like, yeah. And then somehow or another, Bo Jackson came up and he's like, is, is his name really Bo? And I'm like, no, his name is uh, 
Uh, I couldn't remember. Yeah. And I had to Google it. Do you remember what Bo Jackson's real name is? I, I, I've been asked this several times, and it, and I, I've always come up blank because I never really... Vincent. Vincent, that's right. Vincent Bo Jackson. Right. I had to look it up too, Bob, so don't worry. All right. But I absolutely love this Christmas Day program. It is in almost pristine shape. And then I'm going to take us back, speaking of Jim Thorpe, perfect segue. This is a lineup card from 1908, wow. where Minnesota plays Carlisle. And a very young Jim Thorpe is the left halfback in the lineup. So 1908 lineup card. This would be one of the first years that uh, Thorpe played in. Uh, I bought this probably 10, 12 years ago. And uh, John Spano did me a favor and had this authenticated at a national. I mailed it to him and uh, he walked it up personally and had it authenticated and sent it to me. So uh, one of my favorite things in my in my collection, a 1908 lineup card from uh, from the Carlisle Indians against Minnesota. Uh, and it just reminds me of, uh, you know, Spano. Um, uh, I'm I'm really enjoying, uh, we're starting to get boxes back from the restoration company who, you know, grabbed some of my stuff, cleaned it and stored it. I took a lot of the valuable stuff away, but a lot of the, you know, the, you know, the notebooks and stuff with the loose cards and stuff, I, I just let them store rather than me haul around. Yeah. So I'm really starting to have fun unboxing some stuff and, uh, and, and, oh yeah. So I've started two piles you know, this is what I'm going to consign and uh, get rid of. I've I've evolved. I no longer am interested in that. And uh, and then, you know, reissuing my love of collections. But yeah, absolutely love that. So that's it. I had two items I wanted to share. I was really excited about those two. I've had them sitting on my desk for a couple of weeks waiting for the next podcast. Real quick, it's, uh, it's very interesting when you pack stuff up. When I had the, you know, yeah. we were moving, I had everything packed for over five and a half months. And it was like... Totally. I just felt so much better when I got it back in my possession and started opening up and and realized that you know everything was there on top of it. Um, it was it was very very nice to see again. It was very very uh, comforting to me to to see everything again, so on and so forth. And we're almost out of time. Um, uh, just a couple quick things. I'm working on two guests. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can we can work out time frames um, over the next couple of weeks. And um, New Issue of Gridiron Greats is out, and it will be, uh, it's in the mail, and it will be available online. Uh, it's available, the PDFs are available online already. And again, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you're watching this podcast and you're not a subscriber, seriously, you've got your priorities wrong. Do you put your shoes on before your pants in the morning? Come on. Gotta, gotta subscribe. That's all I have, Joe. Quick last thoughts and uh, playoffs starting. NFL playoffs. I will admit, somebody made fun of me on our vintage football uh, chat rooms that I am a fair weather fan. And I will admit uh, the the sprint to the finish line moving into our house and uh, wrapping up those little 10% details has been uh, a little distracting. I don't even, I, I didn't even know the Seahawks lost their last games and missed out on the playoffs. I had a friend text me the lineup, and he's like, what's this E next to the Seahawks mean? I'm like, I think it means eliminated. And he's like, yeah, you're exactly right, Joe. It means eliminated. <laughs> that can be uh, excused with everything you had to go on. And I appreciate taking time out because I, I hear you guys are getting a big storm coming up, too, on top yeah. of it. 
Yeah, kids are yeah, kids are out at noon today. It's eleven thirty our time, so I'm uh, I'm going right from here to pick up the kids. Early dismissal. All, All right. right, that's a it. A little bit of snow. People panic. We'll see you next week. Take care. Love it. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.